and welcome to But Where Are You From? I have some very exciting news today. Uh, for those of you who follow the BSEAM social media accounts or sign up to our newsletter, which should at this point, let's be honest, be all of you. If you are not doing either of those things, then what are you doing? Make sure you sign up immediately. Um, you will know that we've expanded and we have welcomed four very exciting new people to our core team, one of whom is with me today. Yay! I'd like to welcome Pippa, who um, is my colleague at Be Seen and very, very kindly agreed to come on this podcast today to talk about her experience about adoption alongside um, a, another Be Seen contributor who um, has been um, involved with us for the last few months, Emily. Hi, Pippa. Hi. That was fun. How are you doing? It yeah. was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, super fun. I can't believe how quick it went. So Yeah, it was, uh, it, it, I mean, I didn't really have much <laughs> to say. It was just me just kind of like listening wrapped <laughs> to you and Emily talking. But um, yeah, yeah. How, how did it, like, can you tell us a bit about what the listeners are about to hear, um, how you felt about it? Yeah, so um, Emily and I came on just to talk a bit about uh where are you from, actually? As in, you know, where we are from, kind of being adopted and trans and being a transracial adoptee and how that feels. Um, I was brought up with white British parents um, and I have an adopted sister, so who's not biologically related. But yeah, it's it was just a really nice conversation to be having with Emily where we a lot of the things that we were saying we completely resonated with each other and it was nice to feel not alone through this journey of emotions um and I kind of hope that us talking and chatting and rambling on um will make other people um whether they're transracial adoptees or even you know as you mentioned being mixed or that kind of imposter syndrome that they don't feel alone and we're all here at BC yeah <laughs> I thought it was um like you mentioned in the podcast that you so obviously you're you but you I think both quite lucky in that respect I don't know how common this is um yeah. but you're both quite lucky to have a sibling who was also adopted um from the same orphanage in both cases mm. and that I think already maybe even without knowing probably goes quite a long way to not feeling totally isolated um and you also mentioned that you've got really close family friends who also are adopted so that's really it's really great for you yeah that was um so funny because I when I was talking to my mum earlier I was like actually how did you find each other like what did how did this even happen because they're really close family friends and that's why growing up um it wasn't abnormal for white parents to have Asian children because some of my closest family friends were, and it was kind of a nice safe space. And actually when I was talking to my mum, she was saying how um, this, our family friends, one of them, she was talking to my mum and supporting her, encouraging her to, adopt um my sister and also myself so that's always really nice and it's a really nice community to kind of being brought up in because yeah I mean I think when I say not totally alone it's more with emotions and feelings rather than um being around other adoptees but because we never really talked about it and it is one of those interesting things where I probably only really spoke about it with my sister. I never really talked about it with my other family and um, friends, kids were who were um, Vietnamese and Filipina and Vietnamese again and Chinese. It's yeah, it was kind of a nice community and we all went to the same club in Hong Kong. Um, so <laughs> that's also how they met, funny enough. I feel like, um a lot of us just never really talked about racism mm -hmm. or anything like that like so I've got um I've got quite a lot of white British family and um 
obviously I've been quite vocal about some of my experiences on social media and through be seen and stuff like that and I've had messages from some of my family members just being like oh my god I can't believe I never thought about how you'd experience racism um which is you know it's, it's great that not great that's the wrong word mm-hmm. but it's good that they are now thinking about that yeah um you know I don't want it, I don't want it to be the source of anyone's guilt of course not but like it just kind of goes to show that experiences were so sort of normalized mm-hmm. um and we didn't have the space to kind of talk about things but at the time I don't remember feeling like oh I really need to talk about this terrible thing that's happening yeah. um but no one's letting me talk about it because that's not how it was it was more mm-hmm. that's not how things occur like the way that um racism sexism all that kind of stuff happens is that it just kind of has all become so normalized that it just builds up yeah and you don't realize and it's only like as you get older you get more life experiences you get a, a wider vocabulary as well you start to look back on your experiences mm. and you start to think oh that's really gross or yeah you start to, so gross. it's like ret- retrospectively like yeah. Uh, uh, yeah and I think it's I, 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 this happens to me a lot with racism but also with sexism and mm. often the two things go hand in hand together like I can think about really horrible sexist racist things that men have said to me um in the past that at the time yeah some of the more horrible ones you you do feel uncomfortable and you're like oh but you can't really explain why Mm. but maybe some of the sort of more soft ones just bypass you and there's a lot of research at the moment now that kind of shows that small instances of microaggressions Mm. and coupled with occasional uh extreme instances of racism do kind of build up and they create this kind of like tapestry yeah that sort of hangs on you and you, you just can't really explain and so yeah it's, it's it's stuff that I'm finding I'm looking back on my past and looking back on you know my attitudes in the past and you and Emily both talked quite a lot about um like rejecting an Asian identity mm. and I think that probably a lot of our viewers might resonate with that whether or whether they're adopted or not yeah, because I feel like a lot of people um yeah they you try to reinsert your like your Britishness or your whatever it is um in order to not to have to acknowledge that and I think about my childhood and like whereas a teenager I can think of some really horrible internalized racism you know, I, I used yeah. to say awful things, um, which I'm really ashamed of now. Um, but I'm very grateful for the spaces for us to like have these like retrospective reflections and conversations. Yeah. Definitely. Like when I was um, looking back at um, kind of what I really wanted to get across in this podcast and kind of like my feelings and emotions and stuff, um, there were so many other things came to my mind that I had completely forgotten about like if I was out with my dad and it was just me and my dad and we'd go to the pub or we we'd go to the shops or for lunch or something the waiter would just say would you and your wife like to a seat or can I get you and your wife anything it's like ew firstly that's my dad secondly he is old so that is not okay. And my dad will probably listen to this and be offended by that. But I mean, I mean, that is just not okay. That that was their first, like maybe they weren't doing it purposefully, but that was their first thought that, oh, an a young Asian woman with an old white man, it must be a marriage. Because there is a stereotype about, you know, particularly like Southeast Asian mail order brides, yeah. or sex tourism and all this stuff, which is horrible and has happened to me. Like I've oh, it's something that I think I used to think about a lot walking down the street with my dad, mm. um, particularly like in Vietnam, mm. um, which is where my mum is from, because, oh, you just kind of worry about what people are thinking of you and mm. um yeah oh it's really gross and it's not you know obviously it's horrible for it would be hard I'd be mortified if my dad heard or knew that which he to be honest he probably was aware of it um but at the same time I don't want to have to shy away from the reality that that is that stereotype that's really really damaging and um it, it has like real life consequences for for women 
it reminds me of this thing um that somebody said in a podcast recording i did where like he's um he's mixed as well but his so his dad is um taiwanese and his mum is white and people always assumed that it was the other way around yeah like oh you're oh you're mixed i bet your mum's the asian one like because then people will just assume that it's always a white guy and an asian woman bizarre i it's gross it's so it's so cringeworthy and rank to look back on yeah definitely um but yeah so Without further ado, uh, let's get into the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, general reminder, both Pippa and Emily have written pieces for the BCN website about their adoption stories. So you can find those on our website if you just go on to bcn.co.uk. You can search Pippa or you can search Emily and they will come up. Definitely recommend that you read them. So without further ado, please enjoy the show. But where are you from? Hello and welcome to But Where Are You From? A podcast by Be Seen, Britain's East and Southeast Asian network. I'm your host, Mayan, and today I have two very special guests who are with me to talk about the topic of adoption. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Pippa and Emily. Hello. Hi. Hi, hi. How are you both doing today? Uh, Emily, how are you doing? How are you doing out of 10? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, it's I'm in America, so on a bit of a different time zone from you all, but all good. Yes. How about you, Pippa? Yeah, I'm good. You know, just the end of the day. So that's nice to shut off my work email. Um, but yeah, on a scale of one to ten, I'm I would say I'm an eight today. Oh, that's I pretty know, good. pretty high. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I'm I'm kind of like cruising around a nice even six. I haven't eaten very much today, so once I've had dinner, ah. I think I'll be more <laughs> like a seven or an eight. Um, but yeah, I've got a lot of mental tabs open at the moment. Um yeah, as we all do. So I'm really grateful to both of you for coming on, making the time to join us, especially like cross across time zones. Yeah. Um, thanks for giving up your, what I'm assuming is your lunch break, Emily. Yes, it's lunch, but it's fine. It's, this, is a, this is a cool thing to do. So I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. So what I'm going to do is I will ask you both to introduce yourselves. Uh, I'll start with you, Emily. Um, who are you? What do you do? And where are you from? <laughs> so yeah so hi everyone I'm Emily um I am from the United Kingdom but I currently live in America so I'm actually to, to make this identity thing even more complicated I'm dual nationality British and American but I am ethnically Chinese I was adopted by white parents my mom is American my dad is British when I was 11 months old I spent most of my life growing up in the United Kingdom and only in the last couple of years did I move to America so I'm kind of leaning into my American side a bit more at the moment oh and you asked me what do I do sorry I forgot about that (laughs) (laughs) I work in the human rights field so I work for this organization called PEN America and we do freedom of expression advocacy Um, and I have a little bit of a weird niche within that I work specifically on Russia and the former Soviet Union Wow. <laughs> it's an interesting time at the moment. Yeah, I can totally imagine. Um, so I'm Pippa. Hi, everyone. Uh, so by day, I am a digital project manager um, at a Leeds-based agency. And um, by night and other times of the day, I am also a BCN core team member. And um, in my personal life also planning a wedding so that is very fun and exciting um and then so where am I from gosh I love I love this story it's a funny story really um I am British as per my passport but I am born I was born in the Philippines and I was adopted by a white British family um 
that were living in Hong Kong at the time. So I grew up in Hong Kong until um, the millennium and then moved to the UK uh, where I lived in London and then went to school in Oxford and Union Manchester. So yes, I would say I am British, but um, ethnically, again, Filipina. I love that you've referenced the millennium because <laughs> you've immediately just like ingratiated yourself with me as a, as a like a hardcore millennium millennial. I find it quite difficult to like get with the Gen Z program. So like, yeah. you know, I remember like, I remember my, my like year six, like primary school Halloween party. I went as the millennium bug. Like, do you remember when everyone was like freaking out about Y2K and then it was all fine? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I remember us moving back to the UK for it and it was just so bizarre because um, all of our, quite a lot of our family friends were still in Hong Kong and then somewhere in London and it was just kind of a new experience really, a British experience of celebrating the millennium rather than doing it in Hong Kong, but yeah, so very fun and exciting. Cool. So if you both wouldn't mind, um, yeah, it would be great if you could just kind of tell us a bit more about your adoption stories. Pippa, um, you obviously touched on that a bit, um, but I, I'd be interested to know kind of how that was revealed to you, how you understood your adoption, you know, how you found out more about it. Were you young? Did your parents wait? Blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, so my parents were really great about it. They I mean, probably similar to you, Emily, it's kind of obvious from when you're young and when you're adopted and you look different to your white British parents. Um, but my parents were really open and transparent and they kind of just said, you have to be honest from the get go and just um, be caring and loving and just say, um, my parents unfortunately couldn't um, have their own children, were unable to. And the reason that they, um, adopted me specifically from the Philippines was uh, during the time that I was born there was a lot of natural disasters happening in the Philippines there was um, tropical storms and the year that I was born uh, Mount Pinatubo erupted and so there was a lot of orphaned children um, at the time and so they uh, they got in touch, quite, they had quite a few friends in, who were living in the Philippines at the time and was said that um, this woman who uh, is a Filipino nun running some sort of orphanage um, has taken in quite a lot of uh, children. And so my parents uh, went there and were given me such fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, really interesting because Back back then, you were kind of just given a child. It's not the same as it is now, where you can adopt um, criteria um, the the child that they want to. But um, my parents were kind of visited the orphanage. They had already adopted my sister, my um, non biological sister, from the same orphanage, and then two years later um, came to adopt me. And uh, my dad visited me. They uh, handed um pointed at me and I was this little baby and at the time um I had this huge uh sore on my neck and my face because um back then they were just tight on staff and they would um attach the bottle milk bottle to the side of the cot and it was dripping on me and that caused a sore so they just thought I was this funny looking baby <laughs> when they um got given me and then um they and then my mum went out and visited me and then brought me back to Hong Kong and then grew up in Hong Kong ever since so it was and I've always kind of known this story in the back of my head but I had to have a ever since I um, said that I was going to do this podcast with you guys I um, just had a catch up with my mum and again still to this day she's just so open and transparent and was just I'm very lucky to have been adopted by such a fantastic um, family who are very supportive, especially of BC. 
I know I've met your mum and dad because they came to EC Heritage Month, an EC Heritage Month event to watch you speak on a panel about being Filipina, which I think was actually is really amazing because I, I can imagine that it, it could be quite difficult as a as a parent who's adopted to then see your child talking about their experience uh, as you know being part of an ethnic group that you are not part of um, mm. and so I, I thought it was amazing that they kind of welcomed you so much on your journey and helped you and yeah. is your sister also ethnically Filipina? Yes she is um, uh, uh, yeah we're not biologically like related but yeah she's Filipina as well full Filipina. So um, you had someone growing up who, yes. who kind of looked a bit like you? Yeah, we were actually... Um, Not that I'm saying that all Filipinas look the same. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Don't worry. It was uh, so interesting because when I um, grew up in Hong Kong, I only realised it probably in the last three years that I was very lucky because um, the environment that I was brought up in was not only you know, multicultural, international, that huge expat community there. Um, and, but a lot of family, close family friends had also adopted. Um, so it wasn't abnormal for me to be around um, white mums and dads with their Asian children. It just, it wasn't a big deal to me then. I think I only really noticed stuff um when I moved back to the UK and obviously you know predominantly white um environment that I was brought up in uh I think I only really noticed the nuances then what about you Emily what was your I don't know experience like just to sum it up in five minutes I'm just kidding sure. <laughs> so it's really interesting for me to hear Pippa's experiences because there's quite a lot of parallels with my own so like you were saying, Pippa, I'm very lucky in that my parents, they were open with me from the get-go. Like, I actually don't really remember a moment when they sat me down and said, you're adopted. It was just kind of one of those things that you just took on naturally. Um, to the point that I remember actually being surprised to learn that adoption isn't the normal way that you have children. Like, I remember going to school and thinking it was, and just thinking that, oh, every this is just how you get kids. But apparently that's not, that wasn't the case. And I found that quite surprising. Um, but one of the things that helped me definitely was the fact that, so my mum my is American and white, but her sister married a Chinese man um, back in the eighties. So there was already like a Chinese connection with our family. My parents had both been to China, like both on tourism and for work. So it wasn't a completely alien place to them. So they had some cultural context. They knew what they were getting into. Um, and it was, so like my cousins, um, so like the children of my aunt and my Chinese uncle, like they're mixed race, white and Chinese. And so I never really felt out of place growing up because I had that sort of point of cultural reference. Um, so yeah, I was adopted from Hunan's uh, one of the southern provinces in China from the Spice Belt, as I always like to say, and I think that's why I like spice now. Um, but so after they adopted me, I the first place that I actually spent the first couple of months with my family was in Hong Kong, because that's where my mom's sister and her husband lived. Um, and after that, they brought me back to the UK. I think for most of my childhood, actually, I was not very, I didn't really think too much about being adopted. I grew up in an extremely white environment, but because that was all I had ever known, I didn't really question it. Like my parents and I have since talked about it and they basically said that they tried to give me as, you know, quote unquote, a normal English upbringing as they could so that I didn't feel out of place with my peers. And ultimately I do appreciate that because I grew up not having any particular complexes about where I came from, but I realized sort of as I hit maybe like 16 and older that there were a lot of things that I hadn't taken the time to think about and which I've only still now 
working through. Um, like, it sounds strange to say, but because I was so used to being the only Asian or like the only person of color in a white environment, I was kind of used to playing down the fact that I was different from the people around me. And that kind of stopped me from exploring my heritage a bit. And I think I went through a bit of a phase where I kind of rejected it somewhat and I'm still kind of coming out coming out of that phase. Um, but like Pippa, I have a sister who's also adopted from China, not biologically related, but from adopted from the same orphanage. Um, so it was kind of like we were in it together. Um, my sister has quite severe special needs. Um, so like, I, I don't know if it's changed now, but the rules at the time were that um, if you'd adopted a child already from China, the second child you adopted had to have like a disability or a learning difficulty of some kind. Um, so sort of that's her story. And so it was just kind of we both kind of took pride in like, I was born in China and like that would be one of the first things that we told people when we met them. Um, but yeah, so I think overall, like Pippa, I was pretty lucky in the way that my family handled the situation. Mm. We have some, it's not so much disagreements, but like you were saying when about how it can be difficult for parents to listen to their child talk about an experience or an identity they don't share. I've had a couple of sort of disagreements with my parents about that, but I think it comes from a place of they find it difficult to hear me talk about, you know, abuse or, you know, harassment that they have never experienced and they don't like to hear me talk about it because I'm their child and they don't want to imagine that I experienced that. Yeah, totally. I can completely relate to that. Um, obviously, having um, been brought up in a, you know, a white British environment for me, um, and when downplaying certain kind of Asian-ness, really, um, amongst my friends, because it was the time where, you know, everyone in the media was these tall, blonde, I mean, same for quite a few um, other people I know, but tall, blonde, kind of like the makeup didn't, suit us really the pose were very tailored to kind of like those sorts of bodies and it's I downplaying our Asianness was kind of normal and I agree with you I didn't really I almost yeah rejected kind of my heritage really and kind of didn't really want to be considered um kind of Filipino I was just and I was very much like my parents are my parents, they're white British, I've been brought up in a white environment. Um, my kind of, I have kind of Western views sometimes on certain things, just because that's the byproduct of who I've been brought up with. Um, and, but yeah, again, it is just having that very open relationship with my parents and telling them when um, although I was quite feisty when I was younger so if um, they if anyone did kind of um, say anything slightly uh, that I had disagreed with about who I was or um, about me I mean they always would say that I was Chinese and they didn't really realize that there were other Asian countries really um, that um, kids go to is just Chinese really and um, and I would kind of not fight back but I would disagree strongly with stuff that they would say um, so but yeah I hated that part and to be honest I I tried I did talk to my parents about it but because um, I also didn't want to worry them at the same time. So I didn't want them to get stressed out about um, hearing me having this sort of uh, interaction with certain people. Because again, I, I'm basically a byproduct from my parents. My mum's very feisty, so she would be quite scary to come, come across. But um, yeah, again, I completely 
draw parallels to kind of exactly what you're saying, Emily, and is interesting when you have those sort of sort of conversations with your parents that you say certain things to them and they look back at you confused <laughs> about what you've just said because they can't relate and however much they try to they will never be able to relate to being um a a person of color or be you know adopted as well um but obviously I'm trying to broker kind of a relationship on that front and having recently kind of had this surge of wanting to know who I am and where I'm from and really get back in touch with my heritage uh, I've been very open with them and obviously being um, older now those emotions that I had that were very high on surface level I've been able to kind of see their points of view as well as my own and try to be quite um, a mediator in a sense and talk logically and practically and um, not make them feel out of place. So I've brought them on this journey with me very much though. That's really interesting to hear. Like one of the conversations that I've been having with my parents over the last kind of couple of years is that so I always used to get kind of frustrated when, so like if I would tell them about, you know, a racist incident that I'd experienced, their knee jerk reaction would be to say, but are you sure that person meant it that way? And they would always try and be like, but they probably meant, well, you just misinterpreted it. And I used to get really annoyed by that. And like, finally we established that the reason they were saying that to me is because they wanted to kind of put this, protective bubble around me and be like people aren't trying to be abusive to you and like they accept now that that was not the right way to go about it but I think there's very much this tension between like wanting to acknowledge the experience that your child who is a different of a different race from you has versus like that kind of just parental instinct to coddle a little bit and make the child feel like no it's not actually racism like don't worry um that's very much an ongoing conversation with them, but I I'm appreciate that they're being open about it and stuff. Um, but it was interesting what you were saying about people always thinking you're Chinese because like I'm Chinese, people always think I'm Japanese. And that's what I got throughout my entire schooling. Like I had classmates who I went through years seven to 13 with, who at the end would be like, no, I swear you're Japanese. Like you're definitely Japanese. I'm like, we've been to school together for eight years and you haven't worked out that I'm not Japanese. Um, but yeah, I just feel like people tend to think that all Asian countries are the same mm. and they just default to the ones that they know yeah. and they don't necessarily realize how offensive that is. <laughs> yeah. You know what I love is when they like make it into a game like oh, yes God. where you're from oh wait no I've got it I've got it I've got it Korea no wait <laughs> Philippines I, like as if it's like you know ding 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 yeah. ding ding you're gonna get a medal when you get it right oh my <laughs> gosh that's the that's what guys um come-ons were when I was younger their first thing really was um oh where are you from and would say every because I got my back up and was just like, A, I don't know you, so I don't want to talk to you. And B, I don't like this game. I don't want to play. So, um, but I think they found it more fun that I was like, can you just leave me alone? I would just say every single um, kind of thing under the sun before, and they never thought Philippines ever. Like it was, I mean, they went as far as Hawaii for me. And I was just like, okay. And, yeah. uh, and just to stop the conversation, I was just like, you think whatever you want to think. I'm going to go over here now. And it's so bizarre that that was kind of something that we've all experienced. And It's weird how, like, happy. people would get, like, weirdly proud of themselves if they guessed correctly. Like, they would act like it was, like, this weird superpower that they had. Like, I had this girl in my class who'd be like, I can always tell where Asians are from. And I'm like, what? yes, I, someone literally said this to me like last week. And I was like, no, you fucking can't. No, you like, can't. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. And they're like, no, I can always tell Chinese and Japanese apart. And I was like, no, you can't. Because, and, 
it's you're just assuming that all Chinese people have a certain look. Never mind that China is a country that has literally billions of people in it, yeah. loads of different ethnicities, and that yeah. I can't, I can't. We don't need to. We don't need to get into this. Um, I was going to say, I find it. I find it really cool. I mean, I'm not adopted, but I find it very cool that all three of us spent the like very early parts of our lives in Hong Kong. Yeah, which is quite a nice little a little shared thing. Um, but I do have another question, actually. Um, fun, funnily enough, I've got another question. Have you ever felt you've both talked about um, how you, um, you know, you both kind of had the sort of rejection of your Asianness, so to speak, um, but also that you know, growing up, at least for you, Pippa, in the later part of your life, you both grew up in quite white. Um, majority white spaces so it wasn't something you really thought about and you were kind of used to being the only non-white person around have you ever felt kind of out of place in like Asian or specifically EC circles or specifically like Chinese or Filipino circles um where you've had that kind of impostery feeling yeah I was actually just about to say in general um I have this kind of imposter feeling because I mean at school, for example, all of my um, close-knit friends were white British, but um, the school that I went to had a massive international um, kind of student base, but I didn't feel I was Asian enough to hang out with them, but I didn't feel white enough really to hang out with my friends, even though they're my best friends still to this day. And then just... um, I never thought about it in Hong Kong really because it is so international and um but it's mainly in the UK it's just this massive displacement in the sense that if someone finds out that I'm from the Philippines they're like oh cool what what's it like I'm like "Mm, I don't actually know I've been there once beyond being adopted from there being born there so I don't actually know much about it and when I went it was uh I mean a very nice holiday I went to um a very nice area and stuff and I was with my parents and to be fair I learned a lot of history about the Philippines we went to Manila and went to um the museum there but and then there they would talk to me well they'd be confused because they saw that I was with white people but but would then look at me and then start to speak to me in Filipino or um already start speaking to me in Filipino I'm really really sorry I don't understand what you're saying and then again that look of confusion um with that was always kind of a sense of oh I don't fit in here either so where do I fit in and um I am quite lucky though I've been brought up with uh obviously my sister who's adopted I have very close family friends that I again adopted and it's funny when I wrote that um article for BC last year one of my close family friends actually got in contact with me and was just like thank you for sharing that you actually raised a whole load of stuff that I don't think I necessarily even realized I was feeling until you put it pen to paper. And it was probably the same for you, Emily, as well. Like it's, it was so, we had kind of like similar um, thoughts, that sense of displacement, that sense of imposter syndrome, that sense of not knowing who we really are and what does that actually mean? Like who I really am. And it's still to this day, we're all growing, we're all evolving, we're all learning every day or trying to as much. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's kind of my experience really, personally for me. I would say that everyone has had different experiences. There may be um, obviously parallels between everyone's but I know that probably my experience of how I um grew up and how I connected with my um adoption state in a sense and my Asianness is kind of slightly different to how my sister um approached it 
yeah a lot of what you say just really resonates with me because like I also feel huge imposter syndrome when I encounter like other East Asian or East or Southeast Asian communities because I think like I always like jokingly tell people that I'm like a fake Asian person because like I look Asian on the outside but I do not feel that way on the inside like I'll sometimes be like I'm a banana (laughs) I'm white on the inside right like because that's how I felt most of my life but it's so like particularly since I think it was like spring last year after those horrible shootings in here in the United States of um of the Asian women who worked in that nail salon it's I really struggled with it because so much of Asian identity particularly in the United States is very rooted to being like second generation or like having parents that still are very connected to the country of origin so like a lot of the expressions of kind of identity and solidarity that came after that really sort of harrowing event were very based on having a connection to the lang- to the language of your parents or having a connection to the cuisine that you grew up eating and it i was really not sure how i was meant how or if i was even meant to slot into that conversation because you know i don't speak any asian language you know, I, I love Chinese food, like we ate it growing up, but like it wasn't something that was passed down to me. Mm. And so I kind of wondered whether I even had a right to be part of having these conversations because it felt like I wasn't like a real Asian person compared to other people. And like, I remember, like, obviously this was proven to be completely wrong, but I remember before I got involved with scene, like I was worried that people would be like, you're not Asian enough to be here. Yeah, I totally agree. I had that as well. I think I remember talking to you about it. Yeah, when so we I think first joined as volunteers. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's just this weird feeling. And like, I've always, I always think like when we talk about like white privilege and stuff, obviously we don't have it from like the visual perspective, mm-hmm. but like I'm very aware of the fact that I grew up with privileges yeah. that are Especially. often reserved for like middle-class white people. And so you're constantly treading this line between like, I am a minority and I am a woman of color and I obviously can't distance myself from that identity. But at the same time, you're kind of given aspects of the privilege that a white middle-class person in Britain would have. And that makes it hard to know where you like fit in with people from like fully East Asian or Southeast Asian families. I think has has it been helpful um seeing the conversations among particularly as you said emily like second generation ec people or like just younger generation ec people um expand over the last couple of years because thinking about what you said about privilege that that works like for everybody and i think that we as as generally as a community and I'm saying that with air quotes because I don't think that the community is just one thing it's a construct obviously where we are many 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 different communities um but that a lot of us do have the 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 privilege that comes with being middle class or or not even being middle class because again another construct but having British passports for example having you know having had access to education um, a lot of us have university degrees all of these things I do think that that it sounds really basic but that is the kind of the fundamental um necessity of recognizing privilege is constantly Mm. being able to remember that and evaluate and I do think that we could all benefit from like um interrogating a little bit more um in in certain conversations because our experiences even just us three are going to be radically different to the experience of somebody i don't know in the uk who doesn't have uh settled status or you know whatever it is there are loads of different things and the imposter syndrome I feel like that's also felt in a different way to somebody who who is a transracial adoptee, but it is also felt by people who maybe are mixed heritage or they didn't grow up with a particularly like typical upbringing, whatever that means, you know, a typical 
Hong Kong Chinese upbringing or a typical Malaysian upbringing or whatever it is. Um, I didn't have a really traditional kind of Vietnamese upbringing and lots of my family members are white British as well. So I had that kind of, am I meant to be here feeling a lot of the time? And that there might even be people who are ethnically fully EC who also don't feel like they belong somewhere because they've maybe never been to the place that they were or perhaps their parents were ethnically one thing but migrated from a completely different country you know we have to account for all of these different things and I think it's just we've never really had the language or the means to talk about them before and the last couple of years we've really seen this like explosion in conversations that have allowed us to see all the different nuances that that help us to see parallels so like even though I'm not adopted myself hearing both of you talk about how you felt sometimes you know like am I Asian enough to be here I can see parallels with my own experience and it, it makes me feel quite comforted because it's just it just reinforces the fact that there is no one experience there's no one narrative and it just convinces me even further that your narrative is the one that you create for yourself and like we're all Asian enough to be here quote unquote <laughs> apart from apart from people who aren't Asian yeah. <laughs> I think you raised interest I really like the point you raised about like the diversity of East and Southeast Asian experiences because I think that at the moment what we're seeing is like a tension between wanting to acknowledge the diversity of all those experiences at the same time as having something of a group cohesive identity that allows us to have those like networks of solidarity like last year I so in the wake of the shootings that happened in Atlanta I was able to write a piece about my personal response to what had happened and my broader feelings about issues of Asian identity particularly in the United States and I remember at the time just being so nervous about this going out because mm. there's the assumption that if you write about being Asian, that that means you're trying to speak for every Asian person and you just know that someone is gonna be mad at you because like you haven't captured what their specific experience was. So there's kind of like always this feeling of you want to speak out about your identity. And that can often be comforting to, you know, someone you don't even know that might have had the same experience, but it's like, I always feel like there's this fine line to be trodden between having that kind of group identity that can be comforting and be a support network versus, versus acknowledging, as you say, how wildly different our experiences are one person to the other. Yeah, totally. I completely agree. I remember last year when I also put pen to paper, it was um, very cathartic because I just wrote everything down, everything that I was feeling. It was like an outpouring of 30 years of like this, kind of emotion that I've never really been in touch with. And then I remember rereading it and rereading it and constantly criticizing myself being like, oh, I can't say stuff like that because um, it might, it's my experience, my thoughts might be completely different to another um, Filipina's thoughts or another adopted person's thoughts. And I don't want to speak for all of them. And I remember thinking that I need to preface every single kind of piece of emotion that was I was writing and I remember doing it and then one of the versions that I kind of came out with was just not me at all because I was being very you know PC in the sense that I was wanting to please everyone else and ensure that I was being um just inclusive to everyone else's experiences rather than really realizing that what I was doing was writing my personal experience so yeah I totally agree with you it was a bit distressing back um, like a year ago especially with the shootings and what was going on in um, the UK as well and obviously Asians being the face of COVID um, in the media uh, it was just a bit it was a very overwhelming time <laughs> I think in all of our lives really wasn't it yeah it's coming up as well the anniversary um I think that the 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 things that both of you just described is kind of why I like to lean into that EC or ESEA acronym so much because it's kind of 
it's part of its beauty in that it's not so specific. I mean, it is flawed in that way. Obviously, it doesn't account for all experiences and it, it doesn't. But I find for me, it's not that it's like lumping people in. It's just we need to have some kind of categorization for various reasons, mm. one of which is like data collection, for example. Mm. Um, and it's it's helpful to, to be able to categorize um, ethnic ethnicities and ethnic heritage by geographic region rather than ethnicity because yeah as we know people move around all the time uh, particularly in asia massive continent um but it's also not so vague as something like asian american for example um or just asian as we as we both know as we all three of us know in the uk asian doesn't really mean what yeah it means in the in the u.s it's like i feel like in the u.s when people say asian american they usually mean people east asians maybe southeast asians and south asians uh, west asians central asians often get left out of that conversation and then in the uk it's south asians and yeah. it's not it's just not helpful enough but i feel like esea ec i don't know i feel like it makes space for all of the nuances mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's been kind of strange for me moving from Britain to the US because of those like different identity categories, because like I've always sort of identified with the term Asian, but I could never use it at home because that's not what it meant to most other people. But then when you come to the United States, the US has this tendency, which is like historically rooted to want to categorize everyone by their origin. So I come here and suddenly people are like, oh, you're Asian American. I'm like, no, I don't feel like that. It's because it brings with it like a certain set of assumed shared experiences and a, an assumed cultural identity that I don't fit. Mm. But then I was thinking, so like, I remember last year, someone asked me if like in an author profile, whether they could call me British Chinese. And I had to really think about that for a long time because I decided no in the end because it feels like I I am Chinese and I am proud of that, but culturally I am like 99.9% .9 British. Mm -hmm. So it felt wrong to kind of foreground the Chinese half to the same extent. Mm -hmm. And it just made me really think about, it's difficult to want, because you want to like acknowledge where you come from, but you also don't want to shoehorn yourself into a, box like Asian American or British Chinese you know yeah I totally agree I actually funnily enough had this conversation um with a colleague of mine uh, I think it was last week where just out of curiosity it was like we were talking about it and then out of curiosity it was like what box do you tick and I just was like to be honest I don't actually know and every time I do these data forms is always something different. And I end up just doing other Asian because I just feel like I just don't fit into the specific boxes. Um, and it was just quite interesting because I was just like, oh, honestly, I have no idea. And I feel like quite a lot of us are the same where it's like, I, I don't know where what box I take because we don't necessarily fit in. So yeah, this, this acronym of ESEA would be, it is just so inclusive and yeah, I do know what you mean that it doesn't include the nuances of all the different countries within um ESEA but it makes me feel part of something and part of it without necessarily tying myself to be like I'm Filipino and that's all I know and about um Asia because I unfortunately don't know as much as I would like to yeah and I also like that it doesn't stress, like going flipping the other side of the coin, I like that it doesn't stress like British EC because, yeah. you know, there are plenty of people who for various reasons don't identify as British or there are plenty of people who were born and raised in other places and they have, for whatever reason, call the UK their home and they have as much right as, as any of us to, to be there or even people who on paper don't have the status to, to, to live and work in the UK and all these kinds of things. So it, yeah, it, it doesn't have that exclusivity. Um, mm. I feel like we could talk about this for yeah. a long <laughs> time. We need, to like, we need to like get drinks. Um, so I do have a bit of a, I guess, a, a deep 
question. Um, is there anything that you would say to your younger self? Because you've both come on a bit of a journey with understanding yourselves. And Pippa, you said several times, it's still like it's a work in progress, you know, mm -hmm. something that's always evolving. What would you say to your younger self? Like, I don't know, maybe your preteen self, because I feel like when you're like 11, 12 is when all the hormones start racing mm. around and you start to become like painfully self-aware and worried about how the world perceives you. Do you want to go first, Emily? <laughs> I can try. It's a big question. I feel like also like I had like a weirdly delayed adolescence in terms of like reckoning with those questions. <laughs> well, uh, later, later, later adolescent Emily then. <laughs> ad delayed adolescent Emily, I would say... To go back to what I was saying before about like how I would sometimes reject the Asian side of myself, I would want to tell like my 14, 15, 16 year old self that it's not something to be ashamed of. Because I think even though I wasn't thinking in terms of shame at the time, I definitely fell back on trying to be like as British as possible so that no one had cause to question who I was. And that sometimes meant taking on like the attitudes of my classmates that weren't like attractive attitudes, right? But like that I thought that that would make me fit in and make people like not ask me that where are you from question. And I definitely have like that time in my life was when I started to be like, you have to have the most British accent possible so that no one will question it. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time I didn't realize where that was coming from but when I look back I see it's because I was trying to reject that side of myself so I'd want to say to adolescent me that it's okay to embrace the Asian side of yourself and that if people can't handle that then you're just not meant to be around them to start with. Yeah I completely agree it I would say something of similar vein to that I would 100% say it's okay to be different it's we are all completely different to each other and that's just the nature of it and it's okay to be different and not shy away from connecting with those emotions because I think for me when I was growing up I definitely shut off those sorts of channels and learned to compartmentalize um, those emotions and those mental thoughts um, so I would just shut those emotions off and just say that I am British and if you disagree with this, I'll fight you for it. <laughs> so um, for me, 100%, it's just connect with yourself, connect with your emotions. It's okay to feel those things and not have a pent up 30 years of these sorts of emotions and this mental um, overwhelming kind of like cathartic outpouring of feelings. It's not healthy. Well, it was healthy then when it all just came out, but to mm -hmm. like harbor it is not healthy. And it's just, it's okay to be different. And it's okay, to, actually it's okay to not know much mm -hmm. about who you are or where you're from or know about your heritage and stuff. It's okay. It's not shameful because um, you are adopted. And I mean, in our cases, we're adopted by white British parents and it's, and we're in mainly majority white um, environments. So it's okay to just hold your hands up and say, I don't know that and not feel ashamed of it. Because I think it was part shame for me that I was embarrassed that I didn't know enough about my heritage. So I put that away. I also didn't want to connect with it because I was in a mainly majority white upbringing. I pushed it away. And I also didn't want to upset my parents by being like, where am I actually from? Who, who are my biological parents? Because I felt like that would make them feel pretty shitty about themselves. So, um, yeah just be transparent and honest and willing to connect with that side of yourself that you might be scared to um, it's easier said than done though yeah 100 <laughs> oh, thank you both so much for those answers they were really um 
yeah, very, very like just I, I could tell I could I can totally appreciate that it's not easy to talk about this kind of stuff, especially to you know share publicly stuff that you you know had many years to kind of go over. Um, so thank you for that. I feel like perhaps today, given the prevalence of social media, the availability of information online, not only is it kind of easier for people, I'm thinking of like younger adoptees, um, maybe Gen Z adoptees or young, what's the what's the generation below Gen Z or are we still in Gen oh, Z? Gosh. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I feel like for, for you know, for younger adoptees, there's so much more information available now. Did either of you watch the documentary on Netflix um, found? No. Okay. So, yeah, I really struggle with watching those types of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a whole other podcast probably, so I won't get too deep into it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I don't know what it would be like um, from from either of your perspectives, but the the point I'm trying to make is in that documentary that the the girls in it are all in their teens now, mm. so they're obviously growing up in an age where you know social media messaging, uh, instant instantaneous communication is the norm, and you can just find people and connect with people. Mm. Um, and then I think, you know, our generation is at this kind of interesting intersection of like technology and then the the good old days where we just had like, you know, dial up modem and whatever. Um, <laughs> although, Emily, I'm making like huge assumptions on how old you are. <laughs> but like, and I'm thinking of people who were adopted, like, you know, in the early 80s, where, where, where it was probably, you know, even harder. So mm -hmm. I guess the thing that I'm trying to say is... It, it hopefully is easier for not only for adoptees but also for parents who want to adopt to kind of learn from all of this information sharing I mean I've seen a lot of content creators and um, educators of from kind of Asian American transracial adoptee spheres mm. I suppose um, but on a personal level like I mean is there anything that you feel parents who would be parents who want to adopt um outside of that again quotes outside of their race should yeah. know or be aware of um for me it's just transparency and honesty just up front um and actually funny enough when I spoke to my mom about this earlier she completely agreed with me because you don't ever want she, in her work she was like you don't ever want your child to have any surprises down the road because that's just then a whole nother kettle of fish that um, they have to kind of experience and go through so yeah it's understanding that each child is different every single one of us is different and you may be adopting someone like me or someone in completely different mind frame that doesn't really feel comfortable about being adopted like they just have to take every day as it comes and just approach it with love and care and honesty and just just be really really understanding because these kids are just going through these a roller coaster of emotions um because they have they sometimes feel displaced from you know their parents because they don't look like them um apparently I used to say to my parents why aren't you brown <laughs> rather than the other way around as why aren't I white um so it's just having that open forum um just and giving them this time and space to be able to just be completely cutthroat honest and not be shocked or turn them away from it because that just again makes them would make a transracial adoptee feel a bit they don't know where to turn if they can't turn to their parents their family then who can they turn to um yeah that's yeah I would completely agree with the need to be open and transparent like I think also it's important not to over intellectualize things because I think understandably white parents or parents of any other race adopting a child that is of a different ethnicity or race to them 
you know, you can read as many books about it as you want, but ultimately you just kind of have to go with the experience day to day and how it is. Like there is no timeline for how a transracial adoptee will come to terms with where they come from. And like my parents were pretty good about accepting that. Like they did to their credit, they did try to give me opportunity to connect with my heritage when I was young. Like they tried to take me to Chinese language classes. I was like, I do not want to do this on a Sunday. And I literally just gave up and they were like, okay, that's fine. We tried <laughs> like things like that, like provide the opportunities, but don't expect that your child is going to progress in the way that the books tell you that they will. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That's what my mum said. Like you could read as many books as you want or can do, but it, every child is different. Every experience is different. Every parent is different. So just take every day as it comes, really. I have to say both of your parents, both of your parents, both of your sets of parents, all of your parents, all of your parents sound fantastic. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really great that you both have, um, you know, such positive experiences with, you know, exploring that part of your identity with your families. Thank you both so, so, so much for talking uh, to me today. It's, it's really, it's just such a privilege to listen to you talk about this um, and just feel very grateful that you chose little old me to share it with. <laughs> um, before we go, um, I would like to tell people where they can find you um, if you want them to find you. Emily, uh, if people want to, to keep up with you, where should they look? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Emily Cooch UK. Uh, I'm literally on Twitter like 90% of my life. So if you message me on there, I will see it. <laughs> um, and for me, you can find me on Be Seen website, email, anything. <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe I forgot to ask the most important question. <gasps> okay. Are you... And obviously this is not like a marker of like the are you team rice or team noodle? I mean, I've said it a million times and I am team noodle all the way. So yes. But yes. I do like rice. So it's so difficult. But oh, we all like noodle. rice. <laughs> Majority noodles, though. I'm addicted. Noodle for me too, yes. Oh, <laughs> come on. Yes. I feel like we're usually such a minority yeah I think you, that. <laughs> you can both come back let's do this again we can do yeah. a whole we can do a whole episode where, where Emily can talk about um the difficulty of watching like adoption related films and documentaries if you want I'm down <laughs> this was but where are you from a podcast by be seen Britain's East and Southeast Asian Network I have been your host Mayan uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can visit our website, bcn.co.uk. You can find us on Instagram at besea.n and Twitter at besea underscore n. If you like this podcast and you want to show us your appreciation, please consider chucking us a few coins at our coffee page, which is ko-fi.com forward slash bcn. Thank you very much. And we'll speak to you next time.